Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. We got a couple folks with us this morning. Tom's here, of course. Don's here. How y'all doing? And Don's first question was Where'd the couch where'd go? Where'd the couch go? That's right. And the couch has only been gone for I don't know how long. Six it's weeks. Been, it's been several. It's been longer than that. It's been a while since y'all have invited me. Don's been farming hard the last that's, few weeks. That's true. We've we've circumvented him and just had Whitney in here by herself. <laughs> I, I want to tell you what Whitney said, Don. Uh, hey, that's between I don't care. that's between you and Whitney. I'll figure that out amongst the entomologists. So then we got Jay Mahaffey. Jay, good morning. Good to see you, man. For those of you that don't know, Jay is the manager at the Learning Center for Bayer in Scott, Mississippi. Jay, this has been a long time coming. Tom and I have wanted to get you on here for a while. So glad we had an opportunity to slow your day down a little bit this morning. I'm very happy to be here. I keep running into Jay around Cleveland at all the functions that we do for our kids. School function for this, school function for that. So we kind of commiserate in the back of the room over things and topics related to the podcast came up. We're going to talk about cotton, but before we get started on cotton, didn't y'all grow up together? Did y'all graduate from high school the same time? Jay was a... You're a year older than I am. He was, Jay was a year behind me, but yeah... We've known each other a long time. I suppose our research experience actually sort of started together. Probably. Working at either Bacon Ridge or Probably uh, sweet Chase, potato farm. Sweet Potato Farm. Yeah. LSU. I don't know what anybody else wants to hear, Jay. I want to hear a story about the young Don Cook. Just one. Young Don Cook, I'd say in college, he was an excellent pool player. But it took forever. <laughs> yeah, the balls roll real slow, but they went exactly where he wanted them to go. I, I, I can't deny that. Is there possibly some over analysis of angles. I would say appropriate analysis, but it took a while to get the problem all set up. Lots of precision. Don's stories never get old. <laughs> I just hope he doesn't tell anybody any about me. No, that's that why. Era. That's why I said. That's why I said one. <laughs> There's a couple that come to mind. Yeah. We have a clean rating on the podcast. We'd like to keep it that way. That's so, and a finite period of time. Yeah, right. <laughs> time yeah. is finite in this room. Both of those would be over if Don starts. <laughs> so we wanted Jay to come on this morning and talk about cotton management. And Jay, I guess to start that conversation, why don't you just give a brief overview of the types of stuff you do at the Learning Center in Scott. Well, I, I, and I appreciate the opportunity to come share this stuff today and talk about this because I think a bigger conversation about the subject matter is it's timely today. There at Scott, we farm about 400 acres that we do things that, that I believe and growers request, and I believe that they help growers learn about products so that they can use those things the best way when they actually buy them. And I don't mean that to be any sort of commercial message. It's not. Good science and and good practice is good practice. And we keep a focus on making the right decisions when you're trying to manage each individual field, whether it's corn, cotton, or beans. We work on all three of the crops. Uh, I'm a cotton person at heart, cotton entomologist, I suppose, by training. And, And whether I intended it, cotton management and cotton growth control, it's inherent to to the thought process that I use on the learning center. 
a lot of that comes from the fact that we're trying to place varieties as appropriately as possible and then offer the best management guidance we can from that point forward. But that doesn't mean the, the principles of what we're talking about and the things that we do on the learning center can't be applied in other places and other ways. You certainly have to take into account the environment that you deal with and, and that you actually are farming in before you can take something I did in the central delta and necessarily apply it to South Georgia or certainly West Texas. But the principles are the same. We're still growing a perennial indeterminate plant as an annual crop, which my view is a fancy way of saying a cotton plant thinks is a pecan tree. Right. And, and we're kind of short-circuiting in nature with our management. And they don't ever forget that it's a pecan tree either. That nature is there regardless. And, uh, you know, I have a presentation I run around doing about how a cotton plant thinks, which to me is scientifically not correct. It's not It's not thinking. I, I understand that. But it's programmed to do certain things by nature that we use our management tactics and management techniques. And, and importantly, the thing I would point out is there's a philosophical sort of engagement that has to go into that. You think about the difference in the crops, and, and we formulate our program there around Scott this way, really. In corn, it's a, a planning problem. Before we plant, there's eight or nine decisions we make that set up the, basically the yield potential of that corn field, and all of those decisions are made before or during planting. Things like depth, population, hybrid, technology, seed treatment, uniformity, all of that stuff's plant done. Date, plant and date. Plant and date. Row spacing. All of those things are, are established at plant or before. In cotton, you sort of pick a variety, and, and that's, you know, based on the, the, the market acceptance of some of the big products. It's kind of picking itself in some cases. Then you have to know the background of that variety, how you would use that variety, where would I plant it. What soil types it adapted for? Then you've got all these things about PGRs and population and row configuration and all of that figures into this equation. You, one crop you plan, one crop you react to. For cotton, in planning, what is cotton most reactive to? So say you've chosen a variety or chosen a variety soil texture combination. We've made it to that point. What's the next thing that cotton is most responsive to? The thing that I, you have to consider the history involved with the individual fields you're trying to manage. And I have this conversation with just about everyone that I talk to about planting and planting their cotton crop. Yeah, you've picked a variety and a soil type combination you're going to go for. All right, what is the, what's the characteristic of that historically on your farm? Is it a field that you always struggle for growth control in? Is it irrigated or dry land? And, and, you know, dry land's kind of a misnomer in the Delta. This is all rain-fed. Dry land's a desert somewhere. There's grades of that productivity and that growth potential. When you start to think about that, if you've got fields that you always struggle for growth control, one of the things you probably ought to alter is either variety selection and or maybe planting population. And I would have to say that, that one of the big things that cotton is responsive to is that plant-to-plant competition. And when you start to alter that relationship, all of a sudden you make things better and on, in a few occasions worse over the management course. Because if you're in a field that has extremely high growth potential, you plant a lot of seed because that's maybe what you've always done. 
you're setting that variety up to or yourself up to have to struggle with that variety and its management. So, and and I know it may sound odd coming from somebody that works in the seed business to say, some cases you need to plant less seed, not more. And and that's many cases in cotton. So population is a big one, placement of the variety is a big one, and then the next one is the PGR applications. I would throw nitrogen rate in there too. Yeah. And that manifests later, I would say, but yes. But, you know, a grocery field with history, I would, I would say think about trimming your end rate back. I agree. My conflict in that is I don't know how far you could safely cut. Because if you cut too far and then you get a flushing rain or something, well, you've got to acknowledge all that. But. Well, I'm talking about, I mean, if you've historically put 130 pounds out and it gets, wants to get seven feet tall, trim it back to 85. That's right. I, I agree completely. I mean, there I, I, there, I think there's ranges that you can do that in. That's right. And just way of example, that real strong, silty sand there in front of our office at the Learning Center, that used to be managed just drive as hard as you could go, and it was always, you know, too tall. And I'm talking 20 years ago. Well, now we put out, by what you said, about 85, 90 pounds in at the most. And, and that's not a recommendation broadly. It's just what we do in that specific case. And we're very aggressive with PGRs. And we planted at relatively low population. And, and as a result, I fight it to a tie about this high, you know, about 50 or 55 inches high rather than 70 inches high. Tell you what was eye-opening for me in a, another time when I was at LSU and we were involved in some – nitrogen work in with some plant bug work as well is we had some plots that didn't get any nitrogen that year then it had been managed normally before that where we put out no nitrogen we made 1400 pounds now where it really showed you is the next year because that was cut in half but i think we have more residual carryover than we think we do in a lot of cases i think that's probably likely the case but the problem is there's not a easy that I know of. There's not an easy test for the availability no, no. of that. You got to be careful cutting too far because if you're not if you cut too far, and you're not of the philosophical mind, sort of mindset to go back and supplement if you lose it, or oh, you yeah. don't acknowledge it happened, you you wind up in that position. Well, time and logistics gets factored into what That's you right. just Absolutely. described too. That's right. We're sitting here early part of June, based on the calls I've gotten done with mixtures with our herbicide treatments i feel like the thrips have been pretty heavy this year it's it's yeah it's been not fun i would say from a growth standpoint we have a real wide range of growth stages in cotton probably more than we've had in a number of years uh, yeah and i think those stages and I, i'm not trying to butt in but i, well, I think those stages are pretty broadly scattered across these fields too it's not that there was some differential emergence. There was some herbicide uh, injury. I think held some of it back. And the sand, some wind, and the wind. Yeah, I was say the sand blasting in some places. Yes. They had to plant some big areas in yeah. field or general vicinities of other fields. So you, you have a pretty broad plant stage through some of those. About as extreme as I've seen is you know about discounting what we have here. I'd say I've seen some two leaf. And I've seen some that's this beyond Pinhead Square already. 
I would not be surprised if the thrips numbers we are looking at this year are going to hurt a little older cotton than they typically hurt. Uh, a lot uh, of that's weather-related. Yeah. Uh, if it's not growing very well due to whatever environmental condition, that thrip susceptibility period probably stretches out a, a little bit more. I mean, I've got some that I think's turning the corner right now, but I know I broke a personal, maybe I guess professional record in the number of thrips in a five-plant sampling yesterday. It's about six or seven nodes, which normally I would not even yeah. be sampling. Just for kicks, I went out and sampled one that in, in a washed five-plant sample. There were about 1,500 thrips. That's pretty impressive. My previous record had been 650. Hey, t- hey Tom, you, know, you know what the weed scientist doesn't ever do? Count. Wash, any, wash thrips. Yeah, just, just for <laughs> kicks, go see how many thrips. Probably doesn't even go and count like how many pigweeds you could see in uh, some of these no, little areas. Most but, of my stuff, the crop's just there to make pretty pictures. I, I usually just look at it as <laughs> and say, there's a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm not at the stage where I quantify. I mean, that's, that's just me right now. Uh, I won't tell you how I classified that in when I wrote it on the sheet. <laughs> yeah, I don't let people see sometimes what I write down. Jay, I got my first question yesterday about Mepiquot. And it was herbicide mixture, and was this going to be okay mixing with my herbicide? They're by no means asking me about, you know, managing the growth of their cotton. But as we move into that time of year, I'd be interested to hear what your philosophy is on using growth regulators and and tailoring that to the crop year to year. Well, I think it's I, I think it's very encouraging that people are having that conversation already, and I think necessity's taught us that that's necessary. Because it, I describe it as these are not yesterday's cotton varieties. You think about what has happened. We've increased fruit retention because we got rid of the weevil. We've got other insect control tools coming that are probably going to further drive our retention up. We're making higher yields. And I've been at Scott 27 or 8 years, and the, and the yields we're making today, we dreamed of them. I mean, it was a long shot to make the, that average so what has happened is we've got varieties that can, that can set, or we've got insect control systems that allow us to set more fruit. Despite our best historical efforts, we're doing better today. But we also have to have a plant that can support more fruit, which means it's a better energy factory. The premium that that puts on growth control is high because if you have a slip from the weather, which we can't help many times, or you have an insect control problem because Don and I messed up, Maybe. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, I messed up. You'd always do it right. But, I don't know about that. But regardless, it, you have a slip in insect control. You've got a plant that's trying to grow, and it's a better grower, quote, unquote, than it's ever been. So the important point of the, the PGR management system is start early, relative, particularly histor- relative his- to what you've done historically. Start early. What I mean by early, you know, when you start getting to – nine, ten nodes on toward bloom, a little closer to bloom, start thinking about putting some out. And that does a couple of things. Mepiquot is not degraded, or at least the effect's long-lasting in the plant, and it's also active at a dry weight concentration, which means if I put some on early, relatively early, it's in there later. And those later applications, it takes me less to get back above the threshold of activity. So... That's why that early conversation is so important. And you have to gauge it for each field and every variety and all of that. But 
philosophically, the thought process is different than it has been. If I'm looking at that field, what am I looking for to inform me that that application may be of benefit at that growth stage? Honestly, that first application to me is based around the two things, mainly, well, two or three things. The varietal background and its tendency to get away from me. The field history and its historical tendency to get away. And really, is it wet or dry? You know, in the very driest conditions, I don't really do anything. But in most of the others, I do something. Like it rained yesterday. We got this cotton that's, you know, coming up, getting on over toward pretty heavily into square. It's time to start thinking about doing something of that. That first one's really not based so much around growth rate as it is around the, the preparation. The potential the for potential it. The potential for growth control. You've paired in a variety with an environment. So with certain combinations there, you can almost plan that application. I would say it. The first application and then maybe use more of a reactive tactic on later applications. That is exactly how we manage. Now, if you're irrigated, you can predictably say, I'm going to do this multiple times. But that first one is a pretty much a pre-planned deal for us. Now, the, the intercession that you choose may be a little different. If it's dry or it's getting dry and not predicting rain, I won't be as, as aggressive as I would be like it rained yesterday and we got this cotton coming on. I'm going to get after it. Well, then I use the growth. The internode elongation is an excellent measure of current growth that's occurring in the field. And the way that I use that is after that first shot, you go out there and start looking around and you bend the top of the plant over and it's easy to do. It's the internode that's four to five from the top, and you don't have to count. It's just the one that bends when you bend the top of the plant over. If that internode is longer than the couple below it, it's just finishing elongation. That's why this is important. If that internode, internode is longer than the couple below it, growth's accelerating, and I need to do something, probably, particularly based around the history of the field and the variety and all that. Fruit load, that's an important part. If that internode's shorter than the couple below it, growth's slowing down, and I hope it's because I got a bunch of big bowls and a good fruit load and all of those things. So that's the utility of the in-season monitoring. Or your previous application has worked. Right. Yeah. It, it will show you, but it'll start to creep out of that. Yeah, it, it will. And the utility of that is you can go out and do that about two weeks before you to pull up to it in a truck and say, ooh, that's, that's going. I better do something. Because if you can look at it from the turn row and say that's a, that's away from me, it's probably gone. And that's something I've noticed over the years is these varieties have changed. You know, 15, 20 years ago, you could kind of, with a lot of varieties, you could let them get to kind of where you want them and stop them. You can't do, I don't think you can do that no more. No, that's, I'm not criticizing anybody, but that's yesterday's idea. Well, and that was my next question. Before we started, we mentioned the rain event that we had last year, which was hideous. If you get into a rainy period and you just can't get stuff out and you miss an application, can you pull that back out of the ditch like Don described like we used to? So Don and I guess we're tracking together in our comments. My answer to that would be yes if you've prepared yourself to do so. And, and the way you prepare yourself is that variety placement, the population, and that early application if you can make it. And, and there are times... I would have set up until the last four or five years, I would have never told a grower to go make an application just to apply mepiquot. 
Well, today. and I would, you know, where I started this whole conversation, very few questions have I ever gotten about mixing Mepiquot with a herbicide just because we're usually past that, right? Yeah. Well, today, the Mepiquot's probably the most, well, you can't let the weeds take it, but the Mepiquot is important enough to the success of these products, and I don't mean just, I mean, it's all of them, really. You've got to intercede when you need to, and if it costs you something to apply a deliberate Mepiquot application, I do it. I recommend it a lot of times. What I've heard you say is we can, there's no way to undervalue this early Mepiquot treatment. No, I, there is a way you could probably overdo it if you really right. took it too well, far. Well, everything in moderation. That's of right, everything in moderation, but it's a philosophical shift in how you do things. Because to your question of can I pull it out of the ditch if, if I miss it, well, you can, you get close. Depends on how far off the rails you done got. That's right. If you didn't start on the rails, you may not get back to them. But the way you do that is there's two ways to increase the the intensity of Mepiquot response in cotton. Well, there's more than two, but the main two you got control of at that point are rate and timing. And, you know, some of these rates, and I'll get into the specifics of it, but some of these rates are, are unnecessary. Get up into the to the maximum label rates of Mepiquots as high as it needs to be. And if you need more than that, you need to do it more often. I've always been told that, you know, there's only what everybody said was a pint. That anything beyond that it really That's couldn't it really couldn't absorb that and get it functional. Uh, that if you needed more than that, split it because you're basically gonna get the effect of one pint whether you put out more than that or not. Well, you know, now, I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that for years. It is, for the most part, there's some marginal evidence, and you know, historically, that says you there's a little response over that sometimes, yeah. but not much, and that's what's on the label anyway. Yeah. Well, and from a speculative standpoint, doesn't that tell you then maybe what you should alter for next year if you're having to put too much mepiquot out? Absolutely. So you maybe overplanted. You put out too much nitrogen fertilizer, and maybe you didn't pick the right variety for the right soil texture or class that you had in that particular situation, so you're having to compensate for that by making an over-application of Mepiquot. That's exactly right. I, that's, I hope that's the message we get delivered. Growing cotton's an art form. I mean, there's plenty of research that we all do that tends to factor in how we manage a cotton crop, but unfortunately, at the end of the day, there's a lot of artistic practice that goes into that and how you're supposed to properly place things and everything as you said before we started podcasting everything seems to be a successive choice if you don't make the right choice at the beginning you're pulling it out of the ditch or the dumpster fire like jason said a little later in the season yeah that's right i agree completely and the point one thing i would say in this this year particularly i'm concerned for a certain population of folks and those are the ones that came back to cotton after extended periods of grain, and they came back with the management practices in mind for varieties of 15 years ago. Because I've had multiple people call me and said, I hadn't had cotton in 15, 18 years. I'm going to grow some this year. First thing I ask is, what variety do you remember? And they name one and say, you know, some of them will say, I'm going to manage like that. Don't do that. That's This is a different world. And to your point, Point exactly there are certain places that are at threat and that's one of them these extended high organic matter a lot of carried over fertility 
many years of rotation with corn, that's the place where all this aggressive talk needs to be directed. In reference to 2022, prices are high, historically high. So is there a way to manage your nitrogen fertility combined with your growth regulator application to maybe soften the blow of that input cost a little bit? Yeah, I think so. But I think you have to be careful in considering that because, you know, the stronger your soil fertility case, probably the lower you can go in the end rates. But that is a very personal and specific choice that somebody has to make because if you go too low and then you have a flooding rain or, you know, you have exceptional yield potential building and you don't go out and, and add some back, you're probably going to wind up short and be disappointed. It all depends on how much you, you're planning on putting out anyway. That's right. You may be starting out on the bottom side. Yeah. I mean, you may be you may be with your crop and history and fertility that field, you may be spot on. But, you know, the, the guy down the road may be 30% higher than he needs to be. That's the guy who can trim. And there are people who approach this as the most aggressive manner possible. They say, I'm going to put out the high rates of fertility. I'm going to be on the low side of population. I'm going to be as aggressive as anybody can ever tell me to be with PGRs. And they have a good result because they are aware of the the dangers going into that. I'm concerned about, you know, the folks that try to hang on to yesterday a little bit. And, and that's not being critical. I'm just saying the world's different. Final point to wrap this up, what are some of the most important growth concerns that we need to think about right now at this point in the season, early June? I think it's, I think it's the time of the year to be considering those issues and thinking about it because if you are on a very strong fertility case, you have a variety that is acknowledged to be a very growthy sort of a product from anyone who sold it to If you are of the mindset that you might need to be more aggressive with growth control, now is the time to think about that. And make a plan. And make a plan and realize that decision, once the cotton has grown away from you and is out of position, it is a very difficult thing to come back and fix that. It can only be done, well, it can mostly be done proactively. And only by laying out a plan right now and doing it in the next month or so can you be positioned for the event that we have some issue in July where, you know, the cotton's trying to grow away from us? It'll make those later applications much more efficacious and much they'll contribute much more to the crop if you'll get some things done now in the next two or three weeks. We appreciate it, Jay. That's definitely important topics to consider, and, and I know sometimes it's, it's hard to sit down and draft that plan moving forward for some folks. So we definitely appreciate you sitting down with us, taking some time out of your busy day. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much, Jay. Don, thank you, T. Glad to be here. This is probably better than what you would be doing otherwise, which would be Uh, you being hot and sweaty. Yeah. Or wet, Wet. like to the knees that he was yesterday when I ran into him after 4.30. We got lucky. We got out of the field just before the bottom fell out. (laughs) The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.